listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. My name is Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac here, as always, keeping us honest in the dock. Um, I wanted to check in. How are you guys doing with ISO? I'm, I'm finding my feet in isolation now. I'm watching a whole bunch of Warhammer 40k lore videos and I'm not reading any of the books I panic bought at the start of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not reading any books ex- ex- except for um, some recipe books. Thinking a lot about pickles for some reason at the moment. Yeah, I got into pickling too. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm going like full homesteader. It's fine. It's actually really good. I find it really soothing. My partner and I got into pickling and we got like and the idea of like an olives and stuff too because we an olive tree and shit. So we made probably like 10 jars of stuff and then I just happened upon an article that talked about botulism if you do it wrong so we haven't touched any of them (laughs) how wrong do you have to do it before you get botulism that's the question like what are the odds i don't know (laughs) look i don't know anyone who has gotten botulism from eating homemade pickles so i mean maybe your risk level's low it's like salmonella from from chicken like does it really happen (laughs) you would feel so bad if you did get botulism if you were the like i don't i've never heard of anybody getting botulism from pickles and then you make pickles and you get botulism and you're just like uh, yeah, I, I got botulism from a different thing. <laughs> yeah. D- just a disclaimer up top, do not take this podcast advice on pickling. All these people out there getting yeast infections from their sourdough. <laughs> what do you mean don't take this podcast advice on pickling, AV? The podcast advice on pickling is don't get botulism, and it's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mitch is out this week. He's got a, a medical incident. <laughs> <laughs> In the news this week, Captain Cook is cancelled. Captain Cook is cancelled. Turns out he was bad. Yeah. Colonialism, <laughs> racist. That's a huge yikes for me. So the reason why this all kicked off is um, Victoria's Deputy Chief Health Officer tweeted out uh, this quote, uh, this, this tweet, sudden arrival of an invader from another land, decimating populations, creating terror, forces the population to make enormous sacrifices and completely change how they live in order to survive. COVID-19 or Cook 1770, which like it's just sort of a fact-based analysis of things. This doesn't seem particularly controversial. What's that, buddy? The Brits came to Australia, murdered a shitload of people and took over the country. Uh, That is Australian history, like literally page one. Yeah. Yeah. And then and obviously all the all the right wing free speech warriors hated this and wanted to call for resignations and whatnot of the uh, the 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 deputy chief health officer can't be doing these. It will impair her judgment. Things. For the fucking resignation of Victoria's Deputy Chief Health Officer. So Victoria, one of the best responses <laughs> in Australia. Australia, one of the best responses in the world to the coronavirus. Just- but that's the reason why they've attacked her so strongly. And it's like, how dare you say that like an invader from another land forced the population to make enormous sacrifices and completely change how they live? Like, that... <laughs> That did happen. I mean, the, the right wing position there is like, well, yes, they changed how the Aboriginals had to live, but for the better. Yeah, <laughs> it's just but, fucked. It's so, so, so McLean, the, the interesting about thing about this tweet though, which I, uh, it's like, like a com- the reaction to it is a combination of various factors. So it's that mm. they didn't get the blood that they were looking to spill from um, someone making a tweet on Anzac Day this year. So there was no Yasmin Abdel um, Majid who was there to make a tweet comparing um, Anzac Day to um, 
asylum seekers this time. There's no there's no other woman to sacrifice. Yeah, uh, Yasmin Abdel Magid is uh, the writer. What was her role? That's she was right, a writer. Yeah. She was a journalist mm. who got basically hounded literally out of the country by Australia's right wing sort of commentators because she um, yeah made a, a, a an unpopular comment on Anzac Day. Again, also correct. And they just didn't let up. And there was like front page spreads of her um, being like, oh, Australia's enemy, number one, blah, blah, blah. Until she was just like, look, <laughs> <laughs> fuck Australia <laughs> and, mm. and left. Um, and they, 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 they love doing it. And, and, and the other again. part to this as well is that um, Victoria's had the best response and a flattening of the curve in the entire country and it must drive every single right winger absolutely crazy knowing that a progressive state has done it so well. And so they were just waiting for that one opportunity to like start their culture wars mm-hmm. bullshit again and here it is. Yeah. Yeah. The um the other part on this that I really really like that I didn't even know until a few days ago is uh her name. So I want to give her <laughs> a big shout out um to the to Victoria's Deputy Chief Health Officer for making a really good comparison between COVID-19 and Captain Cook from 1770, Dr. Annalise Van Diemen. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my fucking god! <laughs> like it just—it's just the it's just, oh, I cannot, I cannot deal with it. It's at got all. a it's very just... pleasant verisimilitude to it. I saw like some, because because the tweet itself is so defensible. Like it's just a clear-eyed observation of the history of colonialism of Australia. <laughs> yeah. There's like the people who are taking issue with it are having to like do these insane, like just incredible stretches for why it's bad. I've seen one that was like. Oh, it's it's a problem because Captain Cook wasn't even responsible for the colonialization of Australia. That was Captain Arthur Phillip in 1777, and 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 Cook was just a brilliant cartographer who charted the east co- east coast of Australia, and he needs to be respected for that. It's like what? What the fuck like, is your problem? So you- you are agreeing that the colonization was bad. You're just like fighting a technicality here. Yeah, yeah. He charted the transit of Venus and that was important. She should resign because she disrespected a, a, a map maker from 200 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I just think Mary McLean's a shit, man. I think you said, I think you said it as well, but it was this thing of like, look, I reckon there's plenty of blame to go around. I reckon we can hit Captain Cook and Arthur Phillip just as hard on both. I reckon they're both pretty responsible for the shit that's happened. We yeah, have to. I had a, it was a real good metaphor, and I don't want that to get lost in the mix. I said, uh, I said, uh, we can blame the guy who lined up the crosshairs and the guy who pulled the trigger. Yeah. <laughs> but also, it's it's a kind of a self defeating argument because either you think Captain Cook was a vital part of the like white settlement of Australia, or you think he wasn't to be blamed for that. You can't kind of have both you can't say he was super important and he's why we're here today also yeah it wasn't his fault and it's not because of him that everyone got murdered in australia yeah yeah we're giving too much uh discussion i think to talking about whether this tweet or right or wrong like it ultimately that doesn't matter it's who is using it <laughs> i, I just, gotta, just gotta pause there it's not about whether it's right or wrong though yeah. it's right <laughs> yes, it is right. It's a hundred percent right. Like, uh, yeah. like it doesn't need fact checking because it is cor- it's fundamentally correct. But yeah. yeah, like the the main thrust though, it is like you get to see who's using mm. their opposition 
to a factual tweet and for what purpose. Uh, the reason why I mention this is because I want to point out specifically um, Malcolm Turnbull defending her. And he's like, because he's on his redemption tour right now, he's like, oh, hey, this is it's actually really good that she said this. But forgetting the fact that he personally snitched to the head of SBS uh, to get a reporter fired about their posts about Anzac Day. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, we'll like, get, we'll it's get to on his Turnbull website. <laughs> There was um, there was one other response that I wanted to talk about this one because I think it was just this really just like beautifully encapsulating the the spirit of why people are so mad about it um, was uh, one guy said look whether or not it's factually accurate or not framing it like this calls into question the moral authority for Australia to exist as a uh, nation <laughs> oh my god and she shouldn't be Hang doing on. that oh, <laughs> whoa that's like some galaxy brain stuff. Is he saying we shouldn't even question moral authority? Because I don't even know where to start. Though. Are you, are you, are you saying that all of it was stolen? Hang on, but, uh, but then yeah, we have to. Guys, I'm starting get, to question give it things. Back. Holy shit! Holy shit! Wow, that's amazing. Could primary school oh, have great. lied to me? So people calling for her uh, resignation. One of them includes um, Peter Dutton has said that she should uh, she should resign or be fired for for saying that COVID nineteen bears some resemblance to uh, Captain Cook seventeen from seventeen. 17- uh, Peter Dutton, the head of Border Force, who was uh, solely responsible for the largest breach of quarantine in Australian history, has been calling for her (laughs) resignation. This is the same Peter Dutton who um, this week forgot to declare a $1 million property and uh, whose wife was appointed to director at the Mental Health Foundation of Australia, even though she has no mental health qualifications. Cool. Um, so he has been calling for her resignation, which I think, you know what, good on him. He's got to stick to his uh, what counts as morals in his um, dark. <laughs> <laughs> also, I-, I love that you can still just forget to declare stuff. Like there's never been, like <laughs> yeah. this has happened so many times over the last oh, like oh, 10 yeah. years, 15 years. I mean, it's always happened. But the, the they just clean forget. Just, oh, whoops. Forgot about that. Just one. reaching in, reaching into your winter jacket pocket, and instead of finding a twenty dollar note, finding a deed for a million dollar mm-hmm. property. Like, oh, <laughs> damn oh, it! No, forward slapping. <laughs> Forgot <laughs> about oh. that one. Whoops, a daisy. <laughs> so, in other news, Malcolm Turnbull's on a redemption tour. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we just like we mentioned him on last week's episode about all the things that we're assuming he left out of his book because none of us are going to read it, and we just thought it'd probably good again to mention all the thing, the other things that are probably going to be left out of his uh, out of his book, like the just fact like that- each time he appears in the media is like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm a climate change activist. Oh, I'm very progressive. Uh, we should get on the podcast that weekend and be like, remember how he bought his seat for 1.75 million dollars? McLean, what do you mean by that? So he was kind of like the Liberal Party in his uh, area was struggling for funds and he was like, I'm going to make a big old donation. And he just donated uh, $1.75 million of his own money to the party and ended up winning that uh, race. Yep. And uh, that, that Which- uh, it's not illegal. That's not a crime. It was well- done in public. But it is kind of like, you know how if you have $1.75 million that you can donate... Uh, you can get into politics and and become prime minister easier than somebody who doesn't. It's, it's is- like maybe that's a bad way to set up a democracy. We're not saying it's a crime. 
We're saying it should be a crime. (laughs) (laughs) He was, I mean, this is the thing as well. He did sort of say, and I do kind of agree with it, like like he's putting his money where his mouth is. And he's like, look, I want to run and I think I'm going to do a good job and I believe in this cause and I believe in this party. So I'm going to donate $1.75 million to the party, which... It seems like an awful lot of money until you also remember one of the things that was left out of his book was that he was implicated in the Panama mm-hmm. Papers. And that was the whole bunch of um, reports that was done by reporting that was done by journalists internationally over a big period uh, a couple of years ago that just showed how pretty much everyone who you've ever heard of has an offshore tax haven account. Angus Taylor yeah. has several. Nothing of any consequences really happened to anyone who was in the Panama Papers either, aside no. from the journalists who got Murdered. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, boy. <laughs> a journalist, um, uh, Galizia, was um, was murdered for her reporting on the Panama Papers, of which Malcolm Turnbull was implicated in. A company, it's complicated, but essentially a fossil fuel company that he was on the board of directors of was one of the shell companies that was essentially, I mean, it was money laundering. It's money laundering and they're not paying taxes. That's what it was. Um, so that's why he's so rich. Yeah. We're not saying Malcolm Turnbull murdered a journalist. But we're saying his friends did. <laughs> it's it's not now it's not money laundering because it's legal. That's the whole sort of point of it. Is like all these yeah. people who are like funneling money around in the Panama Papers, uh, well, fu- funneling money around through the, the the firm that was that was doing all of those um, deals. All of that's legal. It's just the reason that it's legal is because the people who decide what's legal or not with money are all the people who are doing it. <laughs> <laughs> When I say that Malcolm Turnbull bought his seat for $1.75 million, I, I, I don't mean that he was involved in a corruption thing with a bribe for $1.75 million. I just mean it didn't look like his election was going to go well, and he had $1.75 million, and he spent it, and he won. And I think that's fair to characterize that as buying something. That's how it works. Or at least it, it didn't hurt. And, and at the very least, it goes to show that the party that he became leader of accepted that money and then made him leader doesn't say a lot for the party either. Um, and I think also that yeah. uh, now when he's saying things where he's like, oh, the bloody Morrison government needs to invest more in renewables or whatever, he can certainly back that up with $1.75 million. <laughs> um, and if he's not doing that, really he doesn't believe it as much as he believed in the Liberal Party. Well, now, he, he does know what he's talking about when he's talking about investing in uh, the climate and the environment, though, because we do remember that how his government gave uh, $444 million to a Great Barrier Reef Foundation. <laughs> now, let's be clear. Surely that, that's got to count for something. That's some green, <laughs> that's some green Turnbull. That wasn't sort of action show. Yeah, what happened to that foundation and the money? That wasn't his government giving that money. That was his government giving the Australian people's money to some mates of his (laughs) who then... Yeah, that wasn't 440 million of his offshore bank (laughs) account money. That was taxpayer money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, another another little fun blight on the um, Morrison government. um, Oh, sorry, the the Turnbull government. They're all the same. Who gives a shit? Um, Was that there was uh, an effort to save the Great Barrier Reef that was undertaken when Turnbull was in power. And so they set up a board, a foundation, because they really love to do that. They really love to have people people from industries that are totally unrelated to the project just being like the heads of things and then they they will commission reports into stuff now, like hang that. on hang on Mitch. so there was Sorry. 400 I'm going to pause you there I think yeah. you're being unfair when you say industries unrelated to the project I think what you mean is it's always <laughs> the mining industry 
yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just it's the money. Um, so there was this there was this uh, Great Barrier Reef Foundation that was um uh, not set up for this, but pretty close to. They were just given four hundred and forty four million dollars. They were unproven at the time. There was absolutely no tender process. It just sort of went to them, and it was headed by a former Commonwealth Bank <laughs> we chairman. Point out they only had six staff in that foundation yeah. to manage four hundred million. The grant. I remember this quite clearly. The grant came to them as a surprise as well. That's right, Yeah, yeah. They were like, "Wow, we." I mean, yeah. I guess. I guess we could use. Yes, mm-hmm, we could but use that. But do we know what has happened to this? Um, anything after this since? Uh, like, there's hey, been Lang, no. How's the Great Barrier yeah, Reef going? So the, the reef's gone bad. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> we, so yeah. there were actually no. Usually, when you get a grant, okay, you get oh, five hundred dollars, and it comes with really clear, like, here's what you're aiming to achieve by what date and how you track it. This grant did not have those things. It didn't have uh, a means of assessing it. It didn't have any transparency. It was just like, here's a pile of cash. Make the reef better if you can. I don't know. Good luck. Um, it it there's it, it, there's very very little transparency, and so it's actually unclear as to what they've done with it or if they've done anything much. Um, I'm sure the thing is though. I'm sure that you could look up a bunch of things from a freedom of information like request and get a whole bunch of reports commissioned and and certain things looked into and and money moved around to these different projects. It didn't do anything materially for it, but I reckon they definitely made themselves look busy. I'm gonna. Oh, and like, you would the, absolutely get point. that documentation. People, government bodies love responding to freedom of information requests. They uh. can't get enough of it. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, fuck Malcolm Turnbull. Um, <laughs> he's just bad. Walk into the woods forever. Like this is my policy about <laughs> politicians. Like as soon as you leave government, unless you're working like like working to further policies that you already had in government, you should just shut the hell up forever. Um, You've got a parliamentary now, pension. I- There's no reason for you to talk. At the risk of doing too many segues between news items, but I do have to take issue with your request that Malcolm Turnbull walk into the woods forever because <laughs> Dan Andrews cut them all down. <laughs> now we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Little bit of um, of happy news, which we like doing on a no doomerism podcast like ours. Um, a Victorian uh, landlord has gone to court with against a Victorian tenant about the new. Um, pet owning laws that Dan Andrews has put through. If you didn't, if you weren't aware, uh, the Andrews government in Victoria has passed a whole bunch of um, updates to legislation helping renters in certain little ways. And one of the main ones was essentially you can have a pet. It's your home. You live in a home. We don't care that people have invested in your home. You are living in a home. Homes have yeah, pets. This is a good and thing. It didn't take long yeah. at all. Didn't take long at all for a landlord to be like, but they cause damage in my insurance and I don't want to pay it. And they took it to court and the judge went, shut the fuck up. And it's great news. <laughs> Essentially, great. The, the judge said, yes, you can have a pet. The landlord's um, problem with this in this case is bullshit. But have also, it's fucking the, great. The thing with this yep. is that's the whole point of the law because the that's yeah. the, every landlord's argument for not having a pet is, what if they cause damage and that's going to have more insurance? So they brought in this law specifically to say that's not a, a valid excuse. They should be allowed to have a pet. That's a standard part of living. Look, th- I've, I realise like I've got my tinfoil hat on uh-huh. here, but um, uh, my 
specific belief is that this case happened so quickly because it was a test case for the Real Estate Institute of Victoria to try and immediately, you know, weaken the effect of these laws as soon as they could so they could have the precedent. And it failed. So... Uh. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the landlord, the 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 complainant in in this case really did go broad with it. Like it wasn't just like, oh, my insurance premiums. The the details of the case is the landlord came with like a laundry list of like it's going to drive the insurance up. Yeah. The pet might cause damage to the property. I'm allergic to dogs. What if I want to move back in? And, uh, get the-? and the court was like. That applies to everybody. So, yeah, that just gives credence to my theory. Yeah, the judge yeah. specifically said in the ruling that your allergies to dogs aren't a cause for you to not allow a pet there because any reasonable person will clean the house before they move back in if you have to. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's just how it works. Um, yeah. So, yeah, good news if, you, um, if you're if you renting and you want a pet, have a pet. Yeah, or even if you don't want a pet, <laughs> just get one. Troll your landlord. <laughs> you're allowed. You Tell your landlords you're going to get a pet and then get one. Just to fuck with them. <laughs> Go to court. Go to court. <laughs> Last episode, we talked about the Great Barrier Reef and the goings on um, environmentally and politically around that. And we had some um, listener questions come in, which is always good. If you def- definitely get in touch with us, if you have any questions, clarifications, anything like that. Um, but actually asking, is the reef... Hmm. that important for climate and climate change and whatnot? Isn't it just a sort of tourist um, uh, uh, driver? Isn't it just a moneymaker? Yeah, it's beautiful. That's its main thing. Yeah, yeah. Lang, it's not, is it? (laughs) It's actually vitally fucking important, isn't it? A lot of people don't realise, which is fair enough. A lot of people haven't haven't learned too much about the reef. They just assumed it was a big, cool, natural wonder, like a, like a Uluru Look, or yeah, something. Honestly, I, I honestly felt that mm. way. I, I had no idea. I thought it was vitally important for that mm. area of the world. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. That was yeah, pretty much my understanding too. So, yeah. And that's, that's fair enough because often when it's talked about, it's talked about as a tourist attraction or a, a natural wonder in the same way as Mount Everest. Um, but the Barrier Reef, I, I have to emphasize, is so, so important, like, ecologically. Uh, coral reefs are the most diverse ecosystems in the world, okay? Uh, probably more than tropical rainforests, which would come in a close second. And it, it does depend a little bit on how you measure it, but that is not a controversial statement. So is it correct to say, then, that the Barrier Reef has more environmental impact on the Earth's ecosystem than the Amazon, say, um, or would it be equivalent look, uh, impact? I, I, I couldn't give you... Uh, I, I'd have to look up, like, I'm not familiar with the Amazon, like, how big it is or, or how much impact it has on various things. They're both super, super important. You don't want to lose either of them. Yeah, yeah, that's... Um, but it's it's up there. It's up there. Um, like, it, it's... You imagine a friggin' giant rainforest off the coast of Queensland. The Barrier Reef is... is you can imagine it kind of that way. It's like the Amazon of Australia. But so not only is it just like massively diverse, incredibly full of different species of life. If you've seen Finding Nemo, you'd know that each of those fish have uh, a different personality, a different voice actor. They're making little puns and things. It's, <laughs> it's super cute. Um, One of them really loves war criminals for some reason. Well, it's a little squid, a little bow in its hair. Um, <laughs> oh, that was an Ellen reference. Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> you see these, you see these videos and pictures of the Amazon rainforest like being set on fire, and it's really, really like you're like, holy shit, that's really bad. That's the Amazon. We need that to live. Basically, that's what's happening with the reef, possibly more so, but invisible to most people because it's freaking underwater, and the reef is bleaching so fast. 
It's not that the whole reef will be entirely dead, although a lot of it will be. It's that the, any corals and any life that survive will be totally different uh, from what we currently see. Only those super tough, really warm water resistant corals will survive. And so it's that massive diversity of life that makes the reef so valuable. Now, the barrier reef is a coral reef. Um, coral reefs in general are the most diverse um, habitats on the planet, probably. Like a rainforest kind of has a huge amount of diversity, but if you're somewhere other than that rainforest, you might not notice that. You might not uh, be affected, but the monkeys that live in the rainforest aren't going and visiting you in the desert. But that's different in the ocean because everything in the ocean is, is much more connected than it is on land. Um, so the barrier reef functions kind of like a, um, like a nursery for a lot of ocean creatures. The fish that live there, some of them have life cycles that mean like you, you got your, your young turtles, your young fish and sharks and things. And then when they grow up, they, they migrate to other parts. They travel around the entire ocean. You've got your plankton spawning. You've got all of your different things happening in the reef. So the life cycles of all these animals, they sync up in ways that help <clears throat> the lives of other well, no, often, animals I mean, in the reef. Yes, but also it can be the same animal can spend part of its life in the reef, part of its life in the deep ocean waters. Um, some animals spend a lot of their year elsewhere and then they come to the reef to eat a lot of food. Um, or are reliant on creatures that live in the reef in various ways. So a lot of creatures spend their entire lives in the reef, but it's such a uh, a rich biological area, um, and a lot of the ocean is, relatively speaking, very... Uh, it's not empty. There's a lot of stuff there that you can't see, but it doesn't have that same, like, rich life that the reef sort of uh, has this effect where it, it spreads kind of life out through the rest of the ocean in a, a crude way of putting it. So if you lose the reef, that can have a devastating effect on the entire ocean that's connected to it. Um, and the other thing is, if you lose the barrier reef, it's not just you're not just losing that one reef. That's just the most noticeable one. The barrier reef needs the same conditions as other tropical reefs. So if you've lost the barrier reef, you've lost a whole lot of other reefs that you just didn't even know or care about, just much smaller ones, which yeah. have the same importance, just uh, less noticeable. Right, because if the ocean's warmed up enough to kill the reef, anything that's less resilient than the reef is also yeah, definitely gone. And all gone. the other reefs all over yeah. the world. It's not the only reef in the world. Um, you've lost all the ones in Fiji and stuff as well because they're in the same kind of conditions. So, yeah, reef, important. <laughs> cool. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's the thing with climate change is all life on Earth is connected, um, some more than others, and you can't lose something... Uh, you can't lose something and predict what will happen there. Like, it's like if you lost bees, you'd be like, fuck it. Nobody likes bees, little stingy jerks. No, of course, we all know you need bees because they fertilize all your plants. So what you're saying is, Lang, is that no island is an island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's quite good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are atolls. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, suppose, I mean, yeah, bears, bears repeating that whenever we talk about it or whenever someone like Pauline Hansen goes there to talk mm. about how it's actually fine or when someone like Malcolm Turnbull just funnels $444 million into a nothing organization, 
it's not just because, oh, we want to keep the pretty coral. It's like, no, it's drastically important for the survival of every species on Earth that we keep things like the Great Barrier Reef yeah. function. And it's not even because we like those other species. Uh, like We hate it. Many, many millions, maybe even billions of humans get their food from barrier reef, from, from reefs and reef-related ecosystems. Fish um, is a major source of food for most of coastal areas in the world. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess this is... Yeah, if if there's any sort of climatey, sciencey stuff where you're like, hang on, people always talk about that thing, but I don't understand what the big deal is. Um, yeah, send us a question or ask us because often I might not realize that other people don't know something or I might be skimming over a thing because I assume it's not important to other people to go into that too much. And. And we need our listeners to do it for us because we're all too proud to do it on the pod. I mean, like, I don't know what that means. Like, we need other people <laughs> to do it for us. <laughs> Lang, do you think um, the reef um, education and sort of, I guess, interest in it suffers a little bit from, um, I guess, the cuteness factor, the lack of the cuteness factor that a lot of scientists talk about when uh, it comes to rescuing specific species? I actually think that a lot of people do think the reef is cool and and in the same way that we go oh pandas are great rhinos are great we need to save those things tigers and shit we go ah the reef is full of nemos and stuff we need to save that that's a it's (laughs) it's quite a charismatic habitat but here's the thing i feel like everyone in australia is pro reef no one's out there being like fuck the reef (laughs) i and and just like most the vast majority of australians are pro renewables and pro doing stuff about climate change um the people making decisions about the reef, the Queensland government mostly, they don't give a fuck what people think. They're getting money from coal companies. And we, we, we say, oh, we need to get people to care. People do care. The people we need to change are the people who are actually digging the coal mines. Um, and so don't feel bad and don't put the blame on just individuals for not caring about these things enough. If we gave your average Australian a button, that said, save the reef or do a Dani, they pick the reef. So, yeah, you got to <laughs> fight the power. So, when you say don't blame individuals, I think we should blame oh, some individuals. Sure, but uh, not. <laughs> Angus Taylor is one such that is, individual. That is correct. Federal energy but- idiot. Angus Taylor. Federal energy idiot Angus Taylor has uh, refused to release a uh, report into admissions reduction policy. The, the government commissioned this panel of experts to compile a report into <laughs> how Australia could reduce its emissions. Uh, that that report uh, was completed. It was delivered to the government and uh, a bunch of people were like, can we see it? And Angus Taylor is like, mm. absolutely not. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no prizes for guessing why not. The Australian government uh, bloody loves commissioning reports and they get legit scientists and experts to put these reports together and the reports are always, always like, hey, take care of the environment, stop fucking climate change up and making (laughs) uh, fossil fuels and the government's like, cool, thanks for your input, we're going to build it anyway. So yeah, it's a time yeah. They're either they're either stop polluting or they're like, hey, green energy is real good. Yeah. It's going to help us like make a lot of money. Um, just as a, as a quick note, there was a report that uh, Angus Taylor couldn't <laughs> stop getting out to the public. Suck shit, idiot. Um, uh, a report came out. Um, uh, and th- th- I'll get to it. Apparently, Australia could have ninety percent of its energy needs met by renewables by twenty forty, with no increase to energy mm. prices. Which by itself, like, that is actually pretty fucking cool. It's something that I think people like us know about. Some other people who don't nerd out over this shit that much might not know about. 
But what I thought was interesting about it was this was analysis released by um, Reputex. The name is they're they're a carbon consultancy firm that named themselves after a RoboCop villain. So a carbon. A carbon consultancy firm doesn't necessarily mean those are bad guys. Like, carbon consultancy is like, how do we make things more efficient? And how can we reduce our carbon? Lang, they're called, they're called Reputex. I mean, that, evil. <laughs> I that is evil. Um, and, and their CEO never takes off his sunglasses. And, <laughs> and you'd swear and that's it, not it, his natural hair colour, but he never has regrowth. The, the, the report that Angus Taylor is refusing to release, this, 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 this newer one, is actually interesting because that one is itself not headed up by environmentalists or even scientists. The, it was the um, head of the Business Council of Australia and oh, the former the CEO of Origin right. Energy. Like, <laughs> this, this is a report coming from them that Angus yeah. Taylor is still like, no, nah, you're not looking yeah. at that report. Because you 100% know if they somehow manage to fudge the numbers enough to be like, look, the only way to save the planet and to be global heroes is to increase gas. They would release it in a fucking heartbeat. But even if those guys can't lie enough or fudge enough to make it look good, like that tells you something. I'm really loving the idea of a scientific report coming out that says we need more gas. That they would like (laughs) interrupt a coronavirus broadcast. Breaking news. Gas is is good. Angus Taylor forgot his pants. He's run up his buttons and on his head. Scientists might be okay. They think fossil fuels are a thing. Um, Well, here's the thing. Any decent economist, any decent business person or or scientist or anyone who's actually looking at numbers honestly um, and isn't like overtly being paid by the fossil fuel or mining industries, it's easy to see that... That f- that renewables and doing stuff about climate change is the economically right way to go. You got these freaking giant, what is it, BlackRock investment firms and stuff saying, no, fossil fuels are never going to make you any money. You've just had fossil fuel prices the world over crash. Um, it's, this isn't, it's not even, it's not even political anymore. Anyone's saying there is an economic reason behind climate change. We've uh, talked about yeah. this on the podcast before, though. It's it's more of a culture war thing exactly. now, like, you know, just being like sticking to yeah, your absolutely. guns about what you think is right for Australians and how we've always done it. Um, it's not. It's not even just like um like uh, capital chases or partisan politics or whatnot. It's like BlackRock, yeah. the biggest investment firm. The biggest investment firm are just like yo. Yeah, I know, but like in Australia, that doesn't matter. Like they know they know that like you know it's it's more financially experienced. That's why they all still secretly have shares in like yeah. renewable energy resources as well. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's like BP having like research into renewable resources. They know that the money is there now and that's the way the future is going, but they're going to dig their heels in and stick it in for as long as they possibly can. Yeah, because the culture war in Australia is insane yeah because you look at the the sort of the the other positions that they're taking they're like we should continue on investing in fossil fuels even though everybody knows that it's not going to make anybody any money and destroy the planet but their other main positions that they've been like crowing about in the last like you know few weeks of memory are like pedophiles are good actually right (laughs) you've got like everybody should get coronavirus the whole herd immunity thing you should kill your nan Australian colonization was good as well. Like just any sort of deranged point, the 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 Conservative Party of Australia will just be like, "No, nah, we'd like that." 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's the thing. It doesn't. It doesn't even like half the time follow the idea. Like the, the let's open up Australia and get back to work. Like that's deranged, but I kind of get it. And it's like, and also Captain Cook was in Always Good. So like, what are you talking about? You don't even have to defend that. Stop. I think most of they, they don't have to do any of this. It's just such a, a weird contrarian thing. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is going to like just make some tweet about how she like stubbed her toe, stubbed her toe <laughs> on some furniture, and like it's just going to set off a chain reaction around the world. And a week later, Andrew Bolt's going to be right like writing a, a column about like how he smashed his foot into this table on purpose because stubbing your toe is great. <laughs> it's the responsibility of Austra- every Australian to stub their toes. Liberals <laughs> want to get rid of your table legs and turn us into Japan, sitting on the floor. Um, but this is the thing. If, if you go back. A couple of decades, you could make the argument that renewables were more expensive and less efficient, and so you were weighing up like, oh, this is cheaper and and better money, but this one saves the environment. And obviously, you can't make that argument anymore. But the conservative kind of mindset is it's not moving with the facts. It it got baked in a couple of decades ago when they were in you know uni. Yep. And so it's it's the same thing as people will have a strong ideological opinion about whether or not Pluto is a planet because that's what they grew up hearing. Um, and you bloody will not change their mind because they have very strong, based on rational opinions about dwarf planets and the <laughs> friggin' Kuiper belt. Um, I had a poster right? of all the planets on my wall when I was 10. Are you telling me that poster Am was I meant mine? to go and throw <laughs> out that mobile I built for my kid? Well, no, you can take it over my cold, dead body. Um, and so <laughs> you will still hear this. And, and that's honestly in that, in that headline you just said. What was it? With no increase to energy prices. Oh, we can meet our renewable needs yeah. with no increase to energy prices. That honestly is a bad headline because it's implying that there would be an increase to energy prices with more renewables. So even when we're re- even even people trying to send the right message, it's very easy to play along with that kind of conservative framework of it's either yeah. the environment or the economy. Right. And just like we're well, saying with climate change. Because like renewables are obviously yeah. cheaper. And so it's like saying like, oh, switch to home brand for everything and you won't even lose money on it. It's like, yeah, that's why it's you're doing like it. we're saying with coronavirus, they're going, oh, we can either save lives or the economy. They're setting up this false dichotomy because they have convinced everyone over decades that doing the right thing always costs you money. And that's just plain not true. But we keep buying into yeah. it. It's also a horrible, like, self-fulfilling prophecy because there's, like, enough psychological research that goes to show that no matter who's reading what sort of headline, they just take away the, like, the basic sort of reporting as it fits in with their worldview. So if you're trying to convince people about how there's no increase to energy prices with renewables, people just remember yeah. the, the combination of renewables and increase in energy it's prices. Like, and it's a, it's, mm. it's a horrible loop that you get stuck in when you're trying to talk to people about it because they'll just go, oh, yeah, I remember when it, you told me about renewables. They increase energy prices because I thought that because I had a poster when I was 10 from Shell talking about how good <laughs> oil like is. if I say, oh, I got a new electric bike and I've had no reported increase in cash cancer you'd be like wait what is that a thing <laughs> electric bikes cause cancer yeah, i'm gonna yeah. google this and then there's someone on youtube being like they're lying to you electric bikes cause cancer. and you're like <laughs> fucking knew it um and this is this is the scientific truth cancer is just your body's cells having more freedom than you usually like them to have <laughs> <laughs> so in other news uh this is just some some nice environmental news to to close us up on this topic is uh the 
courts, the Victorian Supreme Courts, have halted logging in the parts of Victorian native fog. Fuck, man, I'm just full of mess today. So the Victorian Supreme Court has uh, halted some logging projects in unburnt Victorian native forests. So there was a, you might have heard, a bunch of bushfires. They burnt down a bunch of native forests and that was uh, pretty bad. And then the Andrews government was like, let's cut down the rest. And uh, the Supreme Court recently was like, maybe don't. And so now... Briefly, they're not allowed. So this is a temporary injunction to stop it, but these cases can last for yonks. So this is just good news that finally somebody has put some brakes on some of the Andrews government's uh, logging projects. They just really fucking love that cutting really down trees. Nice. They can't get enough. Um, so that's 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 great news for the trees. That's great news for uh, the habitat uh, that those trees uh, represent. And uh, bad news for the Labor government because they're not allowed to engage in their favourite quarantine hobby <laughs> um and uh, this so that is kind of following on from an earlier story from a couple of weeks ago uh where the victorian government renewed the logging license agreements basically with very few changes um taking into account the bushfires mm. and so this is the kind of thing where this is really good news um but it's honestly the kind of shit that should have happened during that standard process and it goes to show the amount of fucking about we got to do just in order to not have the most blatant bit of environmental destruction yep. One article that I was reading this week that I think was sort of good but also grim news um, is just a, a piece pointing out that uh, there is one group that has really benefited from the lockdown, and that is gambling addicts. Uh, the fact that they have to stay at home means they aren't just physically aren't able to go and you know lose a bunch of their savings at their pokies. Uh, and there's just this this article that's just a bunch of stories from pokies addicts talking about how their lives have been just like tangibly improved from being physically locked in their house. Um, the estimate is about a billion dollars has been saved uh, due to the lockdown. So that's saved from being fed into the pokies. Uh, it's just really good news. It is grim though that it took like a lockdown of a lockdown across the nation and across the globe, presumably um, to finally like help people stop doing a thing, which is only and purely designed to take their money. That's the thing. Like, I know, I know you've got um, strong views on it as well, McLean. But like, I just like I play a lot of video games. That's cool. And yep. I don't smoke, but I drink, and so I'm like, oh, I, I understand that there is a, a bit of a tension in a liberal democracy between allowing people their vice and allowing people and stopping people from hurting mm. themselves. And I would potentially even go so far as to say, like, yeah, casinos, okay, stay open, I guess. Except for poker machines. Poker machines these days are designed to be flashy color. They're like video games. You watch the number go up or down and you try to get the number to go up, but they are designed to keep you there and to take your money. You don't do anything but press think- a button. There's no skill that yep. there's no skill because you don't uh, play the game in any way. And there's also no luck involved because the internal machinations of the digital devices have it set up so that they know exactly when they should release a little bit of money to keep yeah. you there. They, it's the they don't do it's anything. It's designed purely to addict people. It's the same as um, mobile games. Like, I play too many video games. Honestly, I could use a little bit of external uh, influence to make me play fewer video games. But a lot of video games are actually enjoyable and worthy pieces of media. I would not extend that to a lot of mobile games 
which are entirely designed just to be an addictive match three advertising delivery system. I think that's the thing is even if pokey machines were enjoyable, like that 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 kind of misses the point on it because the the main thing is the only way that they make money is by guaranteeing that they're going to take a lot of money away from the people who are playing them and like an unlimited amount of money. Like the the gambling addicts that we're talking about are people who will lose, you know, $20,000 in a day just on a, on a, on a pokey machine because it, they don't have these limits in place that say like how much you can um like you you've got your your, your pre-commitments are saying like look, I'm going to play the pokies. I, I don't have twenty thousand dollars to lose, but I'm happy to risk losing a hundred dollars. And you can put in this pre-limit of once I'm a hundred dollars down, I have to stop playing. And every time legislation comes in that says you have to have pre-limits in place, the gambling industry rails against that because it it undercuts their main source of profit, which is sucking huge amount of money out of people who can't afford it. And the gambling industry has a huge amount of sway in Australian government, and so they always get away with it. And the reason that they have a huge amount of sway in the Australian government is because a lot of the Australian government itself gets a lot of money from gambling. So, like, Crown Casino pays taxes, all the pokies, like, that. there's there's a huge amount of tax flow that comes from gambling. I just need to interject here, too. Are- it's not just government that gets money from gambling. It is so many industries. Like, a big one that has really um, caught the attention of, ge- like, the general populace is that so many AFL clubs are funded by gambling. Yeah. And are just wildly profitable because of pubs that they own that have pokies, um, just like pokies in that they license out to RSLs. Mm. Um, Hawthorne has been like a huge beneficiary of these. Essendon is a big one as well. Um, they've introduced like responsible gambling rounds in the AFL as of recently um, to try and draw attention to this. And there have been clubs who have led the charge on removing gambling fro- like profits from their um, overall uh, business structure. But it is such a good example of just how insidious gambling profits in, in Australia. Like, why the fuck yeah. are, do sport clubs have pokies? Like, gambling the, is what's the, absolutely what, what is a cancer the, in Australia. Um, yeah, it, it's there is, just there is really like no two ways about it. And uh, this this article will be linked in the show notes. Go and have a read because it is a fucking grim read. Just like the the, the personal stories of people who are hit by the gambling industry and it's exactly what the gambling industry is designed to do. The yeah. gambling industry doesn't exist without addicts. It is it exists to take their money and any like I'm 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 going to make some moral judgments right now. I, I hope that that's okay for this podcast. I hope that there's a uh, no, space we're that I can extremely throw these uptight kind of here. Make out. as many moral judgments as you want. Don't go to pubs that have pokies in them. Fucking don't. Yeah. You're a fuckwit if you go to these fucking pubs that have pokies in them because you are supporting having pokies. Yeah, by, I actually like, completely Any agree dollar this. that those pubs make that if they've got pokies in it is a fucked dollar. Any football club that you if you're an Effendon, if you're an Essendon supporter, I'm sorry, you're a fuckwit. You're a bastard. <laughs> Stop fucking oh, supporting boy. Essendon because they're a fucking casino, right? If you've got a casino and it has a bar, right, but you've got some gambling machines as well, you're not a bar. You're a casino that has a bar. If the main income of your business is gambling, then you're a casino with some entertainment or a bar on the side. Essendon Casino that has a good show, right? <laughs> like any football club that's making money off of pokies shouldn't deserve supporters. And if you're a supporter of that football club, fuck off and fuck um, you. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, that, is, that is an endorsement of the Not Good Enough podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 100%. I want to just quickly point out another thing where this is another example of framing that you should be aware of uh because when people say 
oh, but we can't, uh, you know, restrict people from gambling or restrict people from smoking because it's their freedom to choose what they do. Hey, absolutely fair enough. You should be able to choose what you what you do. I don't think that is what we should be focusing on. And that's a misleading bit of framing because pokies do not exist naturally in the wild, nor do cigarettes. Um, the freedom I want to attack is the freedom of companies to make poker machines. Yeah, if somebody was walking around hypnotizing people to play pokies, then you're like, oh, they're free to be hypnotized. It's like, yeah. they're, they're not. They're designed to take advantage of vulnerabilities exactly. in the human psyche to pull a bunch of money out of them. And we know that that shit works because gambling addicts exist and tons of them you exist. You are free to be hit by a car, but you are not free to hit someone with a car. Um Maybe that's not a great example, but it's it's this classic. <laughs> not good enough to not endorse that message. People love, to, people love to move the focus onto the victims. Also, if you're addicted, you're not free. Australia has the uh, COVID Safe app that they that the federal government has rolled out. Ostensibly, it is to track cases of COVID nineteen caused by coronavirus all across Australia. You have this app on your phone, and it monitors other people who uh, you come in contact with. And if everyone has this app, then we're all talking to each other. And then if you get COVID, then you can release that information to the healthcare professionals, and it'll say, "Oh, your phone was in contact with this phone. We should let them know that they might also have have COVID." And it turns out that nearly all of it in every way was either a dog shit lie or it does not work mm. the way it should. Almost every <laughs> single bit of it. Almost every single bit. A hundred percent called it. We are so good at calling it because here's, here's the thing. Here's a little trick for listeners. What you can do is if anyone from the Liberal government says anything, just claim the opposite will happen and you have like a 99% hit rate. No, it's the, uh, the golden rule of Australian politics. Nothing good happens. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about it several times on this on the pod before, and especially in the context of this app, is there's such a low level of trust considering every single technical fuck-up that has happened in the last 20 years when it comes to any sort of technology roll-up. Why on yeah. earth would the average Australian believe that this would go as yeah. they're claiming they it's going to go? Like, We've had censuses, we've had the MBN. Well, that's the thing is a lot of Australians have believed that it's going to go well they're, because they're, they're, they've like, the, the communication around it has been so bad and it's been backed up with this thing of like, we can't lift lockdown until everybody's installed COVID safe, blah, 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 blah. People, oh, that's the worst one. People think that, like, that it's basically magic. I've seen reports of people mm. thinking that it just tells you if you have COVID or it tells you if you walk into a place where somebody else has COVID. The, the idea that it's going to stop some kind of outbreak rather than just aid the government in tracking where the outbreaks are happening. Oh my God. I ju it, just, it just occurred to me. I just realized that people think it's Pokemon Go, but for COVID. They think that like if they, if they have the app, that they can just go into a place and they'll see some, like, someone pop up on their little map with like a little indicator mm. that says they've yeah, got COVID. That's exactly what I people think. I think it starts with the title of the name. It's the COVID safe app. The icon is a little shield, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like, let's, let's think, <laughs> this is an app this is an app which tells you once you have personally had COVID, it tells other people uh, that they might be in danger. So let's think about something that after a bad thing has already happened, tells other people to stay safe. Oh, it's a shield. Yeah, it's a shield. The thing that famously keeps you safe before the bad thing gets you. <laughs> um, COVID safe. It's not COVID narc. 
COVID snitch, COVID tracker. No, all those would have been better names. Yeah, it's the COVID, COVID snitch. It's, it's essentially, <laughs> it's the, it's the, it's the disease scarlet letter for people. They think that like if you've got the app, there there was there was a at least one pub that was publicly talking about how it's going to be refusing entry to people who don't have the app and it wants to like check people have the app, presumably because they just think like if you don't have the app, you you might have the virus and not be telling anyone. As if if you do have the app, you can show it to someone and it'll come up with this big red like this person's got covid, don't let them in. And it doesn't yeah. do that. And this is this is a big thing. This is a part of the issue that we have is that you can talk all you want about how you should look into how the app actually works and you should look at people's breakdowns of it, blah, blah, blah. When we have people like in the government, like Greg Hunt, who is talking about, if you want to go to the footy, get the app and stay safe. That lets people think that it's doing anything other than tracking outbreaks. People see that and they go, oh, if I get the app, I'll be safe mm. to go to the footy. No, it just means the government can go, oh, shit, there's a huge outbreak at the footy. Just means if you go to the footy, get the app, so a week later we can say, hey, maybe stay inside, we think you have coronavirus. <laughs> and yeah, and, and this is the thing as well. The government knows that this was going to be the case because there's been um, uh, like legislation coming out governing how the app can be used. And it says specifically, a person must not refuse to allow another person to enter premises or refuse to allow another per- person to participate in an activity um, on the grounds that they have not downloaded the app. They knew that their messaging on this would cause enough confusion to be like causing social pariahs to appear. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ma- this, this is a tweet that I saw earlier. Uh, a, a person was reporting that uh, they're in the supermarket. They overheard someone say they're going to get their elderly parent to install the early warning system so that he'd know who to stay away from and he'd be safe. <laughs> like that's how bad the communication around the app has been. Um, yeah. Th- now we've been saying that it tracks uh, who you're like spending time with. So that uh, if you do get corona, uh, it can warn them. But that, even that, is currently not true. So it's not even doing what it's meant to It's not even active yet. This is uh, from another article. The ABC has confirmed that if a person tests positive to coronavirus today, the information on their app will not be passed on to contact tracers because states and territories are still working out how the system operates. (laughs) So all all it's doing at the moment is collecting data. (laughs) Yeah, but... People as well would probably have heard that this data is being collected um, if you are within 1.5 metres of someone who also has the app for more than 15 minutes. Those are the three main points. You have the app, you're near some, you're within 1.5 metres of someone with the app, and you're within 1.5 metres of someone who has the app for 15 minutes. And it turns out a privacy impact uh, assessment has come out saying that the COVID Safe app actually records all digital handshakes between users' phones when they are in Bluetooth signal range. That's not just 1.5 meters and that's not just the app. And it's even for mm. one minute, not just 15. It's recording fucking everything all the time. If you've got Bluetooth activated, it just picks it up and goes, oh, you're there, you're there, you're there. Oh, yeah. who's this? You're there. Whether or not you have the app. So they, uh, Mark Newton has actually been um, pointing out in an article we'll, we'll link in the show notes, um, the, the, the fact that the Department of Health spokesperson has been talking about this app, about how it should be used, but they released the app without finalising mm. privacy rules and without finalising IT testing. hustled it out. And um, last week, the PM also revealed that they released it without a security review. They just, they just, they just, they just tweeted it out. Um, (laughs) No, it's just absolutely a rush job. It's not planned well. It's one thing I was trying to do in the lead up to this week's episode is I was trying to get a picture of what the messaging is like for people who aren't as online as us on the podcast. Like I wanted to see what kind of uh, information they're getting through ads or through newspapers and stuff about the apps. And 
I'll be honest with you, like every time I've logged on to Twitter or looked at 7 Plus or something, there's been a range of different like coronavirus ads. Like there's been a lot of government ads uh, mixed up in the um, messaging that we get now. So on Twitter, I've, you probably have seen a lot of the time in the promoted tweets, there's ads about social distancing and blah, blah, blah. I haven't seen one about the app yet though. Um, and the everything that I've read in um, generally accessible papers like um, the Herald Sun and The Age has all been largely conflicting due to the journalist's either ability or inability to pass what the app actually does. So the, it, so there's no, like, you can see the confusion was going to happen in the first place because the technical problems with this app are already too far above the ability for people to grasp. Um like, I mean, even I struggle because I, even though I'm a – like, I understand these technical terms, uh, like, understanding the the ways by which data can be collected is still a little bit higher than my technical knowledge or ability to understand. So, um, understanding how the app actually works in a technical perspective is still something that can be quite largely confused. And I, oh, I just think sure. – and then when you don't have public messaging about it that is very simple and easy to understand – it's almost like again. I'm just getting my tinfoil hat on, but it's almost like they knew that this kind of thing. Like it's it's a rush Look, job for sure, would, but they knew it was going to be confusing. I would wager that most of the government that are pushing this thing out also don't un yeah. understand what the app is meant to do or how it works. Um, and I'm pretty sure. Look, and again, my tinfoil hat here. Uh, I I get the very strong vibe that they've pushed this thing out just because they've gone, how can we convince people that things are okay and they should go back to work and bloody restart the economy, heavy air quotes. Um, oh, Singapore has this thing. Can we just give them the app? Yeah, okay, push it out. Like, they pushed this thing out between announcing it and between trying to get everybody to download it. What was it, like a week or two? They freaking yeah. can't yeah, get it. Yeah. Small... It gives people a sense of security yeah. that they – Really shouldn't but just have. the time frame. Like the government can't get a small increase to Centrelink happening in a week or two. It takes them fucking months to add a couple of extra digits onto a standard Centrelink payment, and yet they expect to get a nationally functioning networked data collection app working within weeks. Like it's insane. Yeah, it's ridiculous. They've all I got such low technical literacy as well. Like, privacy and security are some of the hardest, most complicated parts of tech. The stuff is so deep and so complicated, and it's being presented and driven by the Australian government, who has the lowest technical literacy of any organism. <laughs> and they, like, not only are nobody in the current government like totally unable to comprehend the stuff that they're talking about. Like every time somebody talks about it, no matter what side of the government they're on, they will get terms incorrect. They'll misuse jargon. They will like get like the, the way that it operates wrong. Nobody knows what they're talking about. But the other thing that you got to remember about, again, both sides of government is neither of them value privacy or tech security. So when it comes to the fact that like, oh, this is a really difficult thing that it's going to be uh, really tricky to implement well, they're like, we also don't want it, right? Like oh it's gonna be it's gonna be hard otherwise like a lot of people's personal information will get leaked to the government and I the guess. government's like yeah. great <laughs> yeah 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 well I mean chuck an hour on it but if you're gonna spend too long maybe don't worry about it put that in a nice to have I just want I just want to really hammer the point again just just really really focus on it the app was advertised to only record the data of other people who have the app if you're within one point five meters of them for fifteen minutes 
It does not do that. It records all digital handshakes between users' phones when they are within Bluetooth signal range, which is more than 1.5 metres, and it does it if you're within contact for more than one minute, not 15. So either... Government Service Minister Stuart Robert is lying, and I'm not saying he is. I don't think he is. He's probably just ignorant to how the fucking app works because it's so goddamn complicated. I don't think ignorance is an excuse here. The fact that the app is complicated is not an excuse. The fact that he doesn't personally understand it is not an excuse. They commissioned this app from people who know exactly how it works. They should have the information. They can't just make things up. Yep. Yeah. I wonder if the, the, the talking points the entire time were like, well, this is what we want it to do. And so if we just keep saying this publicly, we'll force the developers yeah. to if make I it. If I buy so. a car and someone <laughs> says, oh, how many gears does your car have? And I say, oh, I don't know. I don't know how. A, I don't know how. A, I'm not a car designer. Yeah, fucking. I bought it, though. Uh, read, read the manual. The thing is, the government just is always obsessed with preserving the illusion of power and the, the things that they have under control. And so they're always getting government ministers to make these statements. It would be trivial for Stuart Robert to get up and say, hey, you know, here's me at the press conference. I'm talking about the app stuff. Um, and, you know, with me here is one of the technical leads on the project. And I'm going to defer all questions to them because I'm not a technical person. And there that would go. be fine. I would be so on board with that. It just like th- they're already on your payroll. Just say, like, can we get one fucking person who knows what they're talking about? But it's like, no, 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 no. Stuart Robert himself has to deliver McLean, this information. The, the government Why? has set up a very strong force field that prevents anyone who's likely to factually say a number anywhere near the press. Uh, the government... <laughs> The government can't have experts or nerds or anyone who knows facts near a microphone because they might accidentally say something that's true. Or they just disagree yeah. with them outright, um, like what's happened today um, with Dan Tehan. Tell us about it. So Dan Tehan, who is the Minister for Education, decided to go in on uh, Daniel Andrews today, just this morning in fact, um, and said that he was um, – he was demanding that uh, he reopen uh, Victorian schools because he was driving a sledgehammer through education uh, for Victorian mm. students. And literally within hours, um, a Epping teacher was diagnosed with COVID um, and they've had to shut down the school for cleaning and contact tracing for the, at least the next two weeks. So within the last hour of us recording this podcast, Dan Tehan has had to very, very quickly retract his statement because uh, Dan- Daniel Andrews' uh, point of view in keeping schools closed has been proven in action. And the context here is that mm-hmm. the other states in Australia are working on opening schools back up and Dan Andrews in Victoria, who we've been talking about a lot this episode on both doing okay things and shit things. Uh, this is an okay thing. Dan Andrews is saying, let's keep Victorian schools closed a bit for now because it's not safe to open them back up again. Um, which is a very good point. Yeah. yeah. And the government's been pushing basically since day one, the federal government. Oh, we've got to open schools. We've got to keep schools open. That helps the economy. Kids don't transfer the virus. You know, kids don't get the virus. Kids are some other species um, up until when they leave school. And that's been literally proven yeah, wrong. It, they, it, that's literally been proven wrong It right was now. not based on any evidence to begin with uh, because it's like, okay, you've got a high schooler who's friggin' 18 Somehow they're a safe vector, but are they allowed to visit their nan? Are they allowed to go to network? Of course not. They're fucking adults. They can get a virus just like everybody. Um, And yeah, like you said, Evie, reports have come out that have shown that children of any age have the same viral load 
shed the same amount of infectious material and can get coronavirus just as much as anybody else. It's just that they weren't usually represented in coronavirus infected populations because they weren't on a ton of cruise ships. They weren't doing a lot of traveling um, and most of the early uh, reporting didn't factor them in effectively. Um, so in terms of things you can do this week, if you're feeling frisky, no, that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> if you're feeling randy. All right. So so actions for this week. Um, if you're at all involved in any kind of conversation about renewables and climate change, you may have noticed that climate deniers everywhere have suddenly like lurched out of their graves with a new flush of energy um, in some <laughs> in some unholy simulacrum of life because Michael Moore dropped a documentary which is based on information that was bad a decade ago um, and everyone's gone... Why'd you do it, man? Why'd you do renewables it? Renewables bad. Oh, Solar panels not last forever. Anyway, it's all bullshit um, and it's all stuff that has been debunked for so long but everyone's gone, aha, we fucking got you this time, people who like renewables. I bet Angus Taylor is watching it. I'm... I'm not going to finish that sentence. Um, <laughs> Angus Taylor is watching it and being like, I don't understand yeah. any of this. Um, anyway, it's been thoroughly debunked very, very well. And one of the places that has debunked it pretty nicely is uh, a podcast called Drilled! Exclamation um, mark, Which I recommend you have a listen to. It's all about like the fossil fuel-fueled denial of climate change and the whole, that, that whole thing. You know, if you've listened to any of these, you kind of get a bit of the gist. It's a true crime podcast about the fossil exactly. fuel industry is their tagline. It's so I recommend good. listening into that. Another action is go and check out Citations Needed, uh, the podcast. Their latest episode on uh, GDP has been um, really good. Gross domestic product. Um, it's just they're, they're a really good podcast that do a really good job of um, getting, getting the exact right guest on um, to talk about an issue in a really succinct but in-depth way. Um, highly, highly recommend their last one. That came yeah, really um, good Isaac episode. to start with. I, I've, I've been subscribed to them for uh, years and I love it, but I do have a, like an isolation backlog of podcasts I haven't listened to, but on Isaac's recommendation, I listened to that one. And then, um, yeah, it's fucking great. It is really, really good. Yeah, it's just, it, it'll change the way that you think about like world economy and the way that any kind of like global economy stuff is, is ever talked about. Like you listen to that and you just be like, oh, it, it's all totally different <laughs> to the way that people usually talk about it. it it's, it's just incredibly it's illuminating. It's a, I can't recommend it enough. Actions this week. Try your hardest to not download the COVID safe app. <laughs> oh, but if you don't download it, you might catch the virus, Mitch. You better get it. What if I want to go to the footy or the pub? Footy support poker machines. Fuck you, scum. <laughs> not my team. Yeah, actions this week. Burn your fucking Essendon scarf, you scum. <laughs> Maybe a more, a more practical action might be, um, hey, if you can avoid going out and socialising too much this week, even if other people seem like they want to, because... This is the week when all the idiots who are a little bit more gullible and who have been gagging to go and hang out with 10 of their mates are doing it. And so we are probably going to see a little bit of a flush of cases going around. So if you can isolate for a little longer, please do that. Thanks for listening to Not Good Enough. Uh, you can get in contact with us on all our socials, which is at notgoodpod, or you can even email us at notgoodpod at protonmail.com. We love hearing all your comments and questions about the podcast um, and tell your friends about us too. Has Michael Moore actually... Um, he, 
Sorry, let me just restart that. Uh, <laughs> Shut up, man. Special guest commentator, Benji. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Why? Why have you chosen this moment to wake up? <laughs> okay. Um, has... Oh, my God. Just forget it. I, I was going to go on like a tangent, but it's okay. <laughs> Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nation, where sovereignty was never ceded, and we want to acknowledge their elders past, present, and emerging.